Well, as the Lord enables us, we look back now at the chapter we read, Luke chapter 9. And our text in the words of verse 52. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, and so on. As we continue to look at the land of Jesus, we come today to think about Jesus in Samaria. What is it that comes to mind when you think about Samaria and the Samaritans? What is the first part of the best known parts of the Bible that come spring to mind? Samaria and the Samaritans. Well, we've probably divided, if we could see all the thoughts that come to us, into those who first of all thought of the Good Samaritan, the famous parable of Jesus, and others who maybe thought first of the woman of Samaria. And the Lord meeting her by the well. Now Samaria and the people of Samaria feature with some regularity throughout the ministry of Jesus. And so before we get into different points and stages of that, let's just recap and look at the history of this unique place. There is a, you know, a hostility and a rivalry between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Well, to understand that, we need a little bit of the Old Testament to help us. After King Solomon's time, there was a division in the kingdom, you remember, and there was the northern state of Israel, which had as its capital city, the city of Samaria, not now the region, but the city. And because that city was Samaria, the whole region then became known often as Samaria, and as addressed that way, sometimes in the prophets, when they speak of Samaria, it's speaking not just of the individual capital city, but the whole of the northern tribes. But at that point, the people are not what we would call Samaritans. They are Israelites. They are of the ten tribes of Israel in the north, definitely still Israelites. Now, after the successive exiles of the northern kingdom and of the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah, the conquering empires had a policy by which, after they cleared the natives away from the land, well, people they had cleared from some other place they'd conquered, they would resettle some of them into the land so the land wouldn't become wasteful. And they settled various heathen tribes into the region of the northern kingdoms. And these people mixed with some of the the dregs who were left over, as it were, of the exiles who hadn't been taken away. Some of the poorest people were simply left as insignificant and unimportant. (coughs) And so not unexpectedly, the folk there intermarried, intermixed, and ended up with a, a mixture of a religion somewhere between Judaism and heathenism. These were the people then who were still in the land when the returning exiles from Babylon come back to Jerusalem. And they try to join in at first with the rebuilding exercise of Jerusalem and of the temple. And they were strongly resisted 
They had no part or lot in this matter. They were not to take part in it. The people of God rejected them. They were not to be counted as amongst them. Now at this time, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, the man who was the high priest at that time, his brother, resisted some of the strictness of the legal aspects that were brought in and the returning fool to God's law and preferred some liberties and some uh, more generosity as he would have seen it. And so he went off and married Sanballat. Remember Sanballat and Tobias? He went off and married Sanballat's daughter and uh, went and set up a kind of a rival high priesthood under the control of these Samaritans. And there was even a temple built for a while at Mount Gerizim, although it was destroyed a few hundred years later. It was destroyed long before the time of the New Testament came in. And so there was a sort of a rival Jewish-esque sort of religion centered around Mount Gerizim that was a corruption of proper religion and Jewish religion. And this, of course, prompted a rivalry that survived and even thrived and is played out on the pages of the New Testament. And you can see it reading through the Gospels. Now, by the time of Jesus, the region of Samaria wasn't anything like the extent of the, of the whole of the northern kingdoms. It had been reduced and reduced. And now the area of Samaria was what was known as the region sandwiched between Judea in the south Galilee in the north, and it was pushed right back to the boundary of the Jordan River on the east. Now, even today, there are actually some who trace a direct descendants from this group of Samaritans, and there are only a few hundred of them left, if even that. And their great treasure and hope is that they still hold a copy, an ancient but corrupted copy, of the law of Moses. So then, this is Samaria. Let us see how Jesus interacts with this region as we think about Jesus in Samaria. First of all, it was a place forbidden by Christ. This may be a surprising place to begin, but if we turn back to Matthew's account and Matthew chapter 10. We see there the commissioning of the twelve disciples. Uh, list first to begin the chapter we have the list of the twelve disciples. And then in verse five, these twelve Jesus sent forth <coughs> and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go ye rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go preach saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give, and so on. And then at verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So on. There's this commission given by Jesus to the twelve disciples. Now, Jesus was always clear that his primary mission as a preacher of the good news 
was to his own people. It was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you remember how he spoke to the Syrophoenician woman in Mark's gospel, chapter 7? But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take of the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. And then that seeming rebuke, her faith latched on to the hope that he had held out in it. She replies, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's bread. What was the hope that she latched on to? Jesus said, Let the children first be filled. Let the children first be filled. And that principle of the children first, the Jews first, accords with the ministry of Jesus. He was sent primarily to his own people. He was the saviour of the whole world. Nevertheless, he was particularly a preacher to Israel. And indeed it accords with the gospel commission too, to the Jew first. Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Samaria, though it comes up often, does not hold the first place in the ministry of Jesus. But that is not to say it holds no place at all. And that's an idea and a teaching and a practice and a pattern that is still relevant today. Partly because... Still in New Testament times, the gospel remains to the Jew first. But also, men are called to preach the gospel and in ordinary circumstances are called to a particular location, a district or a parish. And that place is their primary focus. It is their first priority. That's not to say that they will refuse all opportunities to serve the Lord elsewhere. That they will never accept an invitation to preach the gospel as a visitor in another place. We have our community season beginning as a presbytery shortly. And we have visiting ministers come. They're not in that sense abandoning their calling it where they were first called to and their priorities. But they are extending and taking up the opportunity of visiting other places to preach. So Jesus at the first refused permission For his disciples to preach in Samaria. And yet, secondly, it's a place visited by Christ. Jesus' popularity in Judea had brought him to the attention of the Jewish authorities. When they learned that he had made and baptized more disciples than John. And in order to continue his ministry unhindered, Jesus chose to make a kind of a tactical withdrawal north from Judea and back up into the more backwater area, as it were, of Galilee. And so Jesus had begun in Galilee and ministered there and then had now gone down to Judea with an extensive ministry and made many, many disciples there, baptizing more than John. And then at that point, we read in John's Gospel, chapter 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. And then we have the famous episode of the Lord at the well meeting the woman of Samaria. 
And having nothing to draw, of course, he asks for the woman to provide water. And this woman was a loose woman. I mean, had five husbands and living with a man now, not her husband. (coughs) Excuse me. And that conversation flows. But elements of the rivalry that is there between Jew and Samaritan remain. She is shocked, first of all, that she has even been spoken to by a Jew, let alone a Jewish man. And she parrots off her own teaching that Mount Geritzim is where they ought to worship God, not in Jerusalem. You see, they had uh, corrupted the, the books of Moses and had made out as though Mount Geritzim was a special place and was the holy place that the temple ought to be built on. They even had a tradition that Mount Geritzim was not affected in the flood. It was a place that was preserved miraculously when the worldwide flood of the days of Noah came. And so that was their holy place. But she expresses a little of also what she knows about the coming of Messiah. And says, when Messiah comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus very plainly says to her, I that speak unto thee am he. At that point, of course, the disciples return and the woman then rushes into the city and tells the people of what has happened. She's met a man who told her all things that ever she knew. Is not this the Christ? And a great many of the city believe. And they come out to Jesus and entreat him to come back into their city. And with Jesus there for some time, teaching many, many more, believe and are converted. It's a, it's a wonderful episode. We haven't time in one single point of one sermon to do it justice. But you know the account of the woman at the well of Samaria. But notice a few matters. Jesus must needs go through, but he did not pass through Samaria until he had first preached extensively in the Jewish areas of both Galilee and Judea. He kept his ministry focused in its first place upon the people he was called to. But nonetheless, his heart was evidently moved for these people who knew so little and who had so much corruption of the truth to fight against. And he went to Samaria for this purpose. It wasn't an accidental meeting. He chose to go. He must needs. He was determined to pass through Samaria. It was not an accident. And there was an enjoyment that we should notice. Afforded to the Saviour. A satisfaction in his work here. He had been weary. He had been thirsty. The disciples had gone to get food. He had wanted water from the well. And yet when his disciples come back and they try to offer him some of what they have got in the city of the food, he replies, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. It was a great refreshing satisfaction to the heart of the Saviour. To have seen that woman converted in front of his eyes as he spoke with her. I have meat to eat that ye know not of. It was his pleasure. And it was his pleasure particularly to do his father's will. Verse 34 of John 4 begins. Jesus saith unto them as to disciples. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. 
and to finish his work. Even in some area then, he has an acute sense that he is doing the Father's will. He has not gone beyond and exceeded the boundaries of his commission by speaking to the woman of Samaria. And notice the, the pleasure of the Lord in opening up a field of mission. As he turns to him and says, Say ye not that are yet four months until the ha- and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look. <coughs> look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. And both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. He is sowing. He knows that they will reap and they rejoice together. It was for him the first fruits as it were. A little token aforehand of his victory and the retreat that would come for the kingdom of darkness over the nations of the world, and the outpouring of the gospel reaching across all nations, his little foray, as it were, here, into the Gentile people of Samaria. Oh, it was a sweet foretaste to the Saviour. And as such, Samaria was a place of blessing under the gospel by the Saviour, but also a place of blessing in the gospel for the Saviour personally and in his ministry. He had meat to eat that they didn't know of yet. But of course it was not universally so. And we have to come thirdly, a place rejecting of Christ. And this really is the passage that is our text here. We've had to move across because the parts of Samaria are not condensed into one area of the Gospels. But here back in Luke chapter 9 and verse 52. And sent messengers before his face and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him and they did not receive him. This is now the longest journey as it were for Jesus. He is leaving Galilee in the north for the last time before the cross. He has set his face fixedly towards Jerusalem. That is his aim. That is his destination. He is moving towards his arrest. Towards his betrayal. Towards his uh, trial. Towards his condemnation. Towards the cross. Towards the forsakenness. Towards the grave. He must go to Jerusalem. But to guess there, he is passing through many of the places that he has visited in his ministry. He is travelling from Galilee in the north, coming down through Samaria, passing by Jericho, and climbing again up towards Jerusalem. And so he travels again between Galilee and Judea, and does so by going through Samaria. He is not using the traditional Jewish roads They would have avoided and skirted round Samaria one side or the other. Jesus goes through Samaria. (coughs) As he travels, he seems to have had a practice of sending on messengers to run ahead and to arrive at the destination for the evening and prepare a meal and to seek accommodation and and entrance for the rabbi and his disciples. And then we are told... That this village of the Samaritans 
does not receive him. They reject Jesus. And there's a single fact that is determined as to why they reject him. Because his face was set to go to Jerusalem. In this, this village of Samaritans were wedded to their errors. That Mount Gerizim was the place of worship. And that Jerusalem was the corrupted form of the worship of God. Mount Gerizim was the place it must be done. And we saw already Jesus deal with this very issue in conversation with the woman by the well. She says to him, our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus' response is, woman, believe me, the hour cometh. When ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh. (coughs) And now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus was very clear. The Jews are the ones who have it right. Salvation is of the Jews. They have the truth. You worship, you know not what. But he also explained that such distinctions were soon to be dismantled. Soon worship would not be judged by location, but by spirit and truth. And that would become the most determinating factor as to establishing what was and what was not true worship. And we have no reason to think but that Jesus in explaining his position said anything different to the Samaritans of this village. And yet it does not satisfy them. They insist upon Mount Gerizim and therefore they reject Jesus and his teaching. It's a useful counterbalance for us and a clear example that whilst the gospel will indeed reach out to the nations of this world, it will not be met with universal acceptance. We can sometimes forget about this instance and think that everything, all of Jesus' encounters with Samaritans were positive, but here we are reminded they were not. Even within the same little nation, barely a nation anymore, some will accept and some will reject the same message. And this pattern of how the gospel will reach out was established even within the time frame of the ministry of Christ. And it sets the pattern for evangelistic outreach to this day. When Jesus sent out his 12 disciples, confined as they were, within the bounds of Israel, not to go to Samaritans, but they were told that if they went to a place where they were not accepted, they were to move on to another and shake off the dust from their feet. And that pattern is what is followed by Jesus here. Where they are not accepted in one place, they move on to another. And so verse 56 Son of man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. That is the pattern that Jesus establishes. Where his gospel is rejected, 
it moves on. And that, dear friends, with great sadness, is what we are seeing the fruits of in our own place and in our own generation, in our nation and in our island. In our rejection of Jesus, we recognise that gospel blessings have in a large measure moved on. That we do not commonly see conversion. We do not commonly see men brought to their knees to seek the Lord. It is a rare thing. We bless them that it is not unknown. It is not unheard of. But it is increasingly rare. The days when dozens were saved in the course of any one year in any one congregation seem to be gone. And we have to ask why. Why is the gospel, as it were, in its power, seeming to have moved away? And we have a clear answer. Jesus himself will move on from where he is rejected. Now surely such a thought should not only terrify the lost, but also fill the souls of the Christian with dread. How many people... Are you still praying for in this district to be converted? And you're seeing the level of conversions drop off year by year. Dear friends, should we not be on our knees, beseeching the Lord, pleading with him not to leave us, not to altogether remove his candlestick from him, from us, entreating him to return amongst us and leave us not. Surely we should learn from that poor village of the Samaritans. And Jesus left. Fourthly, a place spared by Christ. You see, in that same passage, what happens then to the city of the Samaritans that rejects Jesus. James and John are pretty sharp in with their solution. They are indignant that a Samaritan city of all cities should dare to reject Jesus. And I think something of their zeal for the honor of Jesus gets badly mixed up with their latent suspicions of the Samaritans as a people. And they make the suggestion... (coughs) To do what Elijah had done before and to call down fire from heaven to destroy them. And what James and John are referring to here is not the fire that came down upon the top of Mount Carmel to consume the sacrifice. That's perhaps the one that first of all comes to mind when we think about fire and Elijah. But remember the king of Israel had sent captains to take Elijah. And to take him with 50 men. And the captain and the 50 came to take him. And Elijah says that if he is a prophet of the Lord, fire will come down and destroy them. And it does. And it happens with another 50 and so on until eventually a captain pleads for the life of his men. And God tells Elijah to go with him. That seems to be what James and John have in mind. We will destroy them. Until they submit, until they bow and acknowledge their need. 
And yet the Lord does not take them up at this suggestion, but rebukes James and John. And we are told the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they go to another city. And what blessings there were on that city and how they were received, Scripture is silent about it. But notice here, in this pattern, some area, if you like, is a little microcosm, establishing gospel patterns. The places that reject Jesus' gospel, as the gospel begins to reach out beyond Israel, these places are not destroyed, but instead they are left. And despite the instincts of the disciples to destroy the city, Jesus refuses He spares the place, and we will soon find out why. And notice this, amongst men who meet with the gospel, some men rudely reject it, and then they are left alone. And we have seen that. Times of folk seem to be all the pressures aware of their providence was pointing them to the acceptance of Christ. And yet they cast it off as a thing unworthy of their attention. When we see people reject the gospel, do not assume or think that that is always the end of the matter. Wait a bit. Wait and see the outworking of the purposes of God. Do not be utterly discouraged or despair. Wait and see what God will do next. And that takes us, fifthly, to a place included by Christ. We're moving forward now. We're actually moving, we're cheating almost. We're moving out of the Gospels. If you move to the next book that Luke wrote, into Acts, into the early part of Acts, Acts chapter 1. And when we began, we... We noted that Jesus pointedly excluded Samaria from the commission that was given to the 12 disciples. But here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he is commissioning them now as apostles to the risen Savior to go to Jerusalem and Judea. Next comes Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You see, now the whole world is in play. The entire planet has now been given into the hand of Christ to rule over from the throne of heaven. I wonder, friend, I wonder what the effects were. That village we mentioned a moment ago that rejected Jesus as he passed through on the way to the cross, that John wanted to destroy it, but Jesus spared them. I wonder if James and John, both now, when they heard Jesus say, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, I wonder if their thoughts turn now, not in anger and violence, but in grace and mercy. (coughs) 
excuse me. I wonder if they now had gladness in their hearts that the Lord had stayed their hand and made them spare the people of that city. And now they are sent back and commissioned by Jesus, the risen Saviour, to go and preach the gospel again in Samaria. And we can remember that too for places and for people who might seem at the first instance to have rejected the word who seem to us to be now hopeless cases. Yet the Lord may return and visit them again. He may choose to send gospel blessings back into that place and back into that heart. Do not give up hope upon those who seem to have once rejected the gospel. Jesus sends them out again. And what is the outcome? What is the the fruit? Acts chapter 8 has repeated references to Samaria. Acts chapter 8 verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Acts chapter 8 verse 14, a few verses on. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, who did they send Peter and John? Or again in verse 25, and they when they had testified and preached the word of God, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. In fact, Samaria features in Acts more than it does in any one of the Gospels. Let us be comforted by this. Let us be assured of the Lord's mercies in this. And let us be zealous in our reaching out to others. (coughs) Even if they seem before to have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has visited Samaria again after his resurrection. Not personally, but with great blessings. And that takes us to our final point. A place featured by Christ. You see, as well as actually visiting the place himself multiple times, Jesus also made use of Samaria in his ministry in different ways. One of them is in his miracles. Think of the ten lepers who were healed. That account is given in Luke chapter 17. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem, he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met with him ten men (coughs) that were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voice and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And of course... One comes back and gives thanks, who was a Samaritan. Perhaps also we should think and give some time to the most famous of all the parables. So there in the miracle you have that instance of a Samaritan. But in the parables we have of course the parable of the good Samaritan. The man who fell amongst thieves. He was ignored by the priest. He was ignored by the 
Levite, but he was helped by the Samaritan. What was the point of the parable? Why was that parable given? Can you remember what the circumstance was that gave rise to the parable? It was an answer to the man who asked, and who is my neighbor? He wanted to justify himself that he wouldn't have to go about being neighborly to everyone. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave him this challenge to him. After the parable, he said to him, which of these was neighbor to him that fell among thieves. And so he says to him, when he gets the right answer, go and do thou likewise. So Samaritans were the neighbors of the Jews, both ethnically they were neighbors, geographically they were neighbors. Go and do thou likewise. Go and be a neighbor. The Samaritan can be a neighbor to you. You go and be a neighbor likewise. And so the Lord brought in the Samaritans into his teaching, into his parables, made use of them in his miracles, and made them an example. The Samaritan helped the Jew in his parable, and Jesus opening out the scope that the Jew will soon be in a position to turn and help the Samaritan. And that is, of course, what happens in the Gospel. As the commission is then given there to go out to Samaria, We can look around at some people and think they'll never be converted. They have no interest. They despise the things of God. They'll never be converted. The good Samaritan as a parable says, go and be their neighbor. People we might despise. People we might think nothing of. People we might... People you might think will never amount to anything. Never be interested in church. Never do us any good. Go and do thou likewise. Go and help. So it comes up in his ministry in parables and miracles. But it comes up just one last way. In a very ugly manner. In John chapter 8. Jesus is debating with his enemies. And in verse 46 says, Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe in me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honour my father, and ye do dishonour me. Notice the accusation that Jesus is a Samaritan and hast a devil. These two are virtually synonymous for the accusers. But look in defending himself. Jesus says, I have not a devil. He does not say, I'm not a Samaritan. He does not disassociate with people you might expect them to associate with. He doesn't fuel their prejudices. It's an interesting limit on his defense of himself. There's the offense of the cross in bringing the gospel to Samaria. He had to go to Jerusalem. That was its offense. He wouldn't buckle on that. 
but in no other way would he bring offence to them. Even when, as a slur, he was associated with them, he accepted it. There's so much to encourage us, friends, not to treat others as if they're nobodies, nothings, and will never come, but to encourage us to go out to the highways and byways, to the Samarias and the villages, and to return even to people and places that seem to have rejected the gospel and go again. Why? Because Jesus is still on the throne of heaven, still has the dominion of the whole world, still says there is nowhere not under my power. Go and tell them all that I am the king and I am the saviour and that salvation is through me. Friends, let us look at Samaria and not be discouraged. Take lessons, but not be cast down that the Lord might not yet return and bless us greatly. <coughs> Excuse me again. Let us pray. <coughs>